guys pray with me? Lord, we just thank you so much that you're here right now in this room. That you're here when we got out of our cars, we parked, we walked, we dropped off kids, and we're here. You're here right now that you give hope, that you're a provider. Lord, we just ask that you would just concentrate our minds and our hearts and our worries and that we would leave them at the door as we just give this moment, this this morning to you. Lord, we just, we're so expectant for you to move this morning. We're excited to hear your voice. We love you and we love your son. To your name we pray, amen. Hi guys, my name is Josh and I'm the worship arts director and we wanted to start the day off with that song uh, and just worshiping to just uh, center our minds and just set the tone for the day. Um, as you know, hopefully you got a little packet of birdseed as you walked in. That might seem a little weird. Don't worry about knowing what it's for yet. Josh is going to explain it later, but we just wanted to... Um, just set the tone that we as a team and our, our band and Josh, we are expecting God to move today um, and everyone here. And so, uh, yeah, like I said, my name is Josh. I'm the worship arts director and you found yourself at Kensington uh, Shelby campus. We are so glad you're here. If you are new, uh, if it's your first or second time and you haven't met anyone, we have a special place for you in the lobby. It's called Starting Point. Um, you can go there. You can meet one of us. We actually have a gift for you that you'll get. Um, but even better, what I would love is if you came to me in the lobby and introduced yourself to me, um, I'd love to meet you and uh, yeah, and just say hi. So uh, this week we are finishing our series called Questions Jesus Asked. Um, we've lo I've loved the last two weeks. I'm especially, like I said, really excited for this morning. So I really think God has you here for a reason. But looking ahead, we have a new series uh, starting next week called The Heart of Christmas. And here at Kensington, we like to make a trailer or a video, a short clip to kind of show you what you can expect. And honestly, what this is for is to get you excited to hopefully invite your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers. Uh, to experience um, the heart of Christmas. So if you would, uh, check this out. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let us receive a king. Lily has joy, she knows God. So it doesn't take anything for her to give people joy or for her to have joy. Not only speak, but we show our love and action. When we are preaching Christ, who is the Prince of Peace, I'm sure ultimately the Prince of Peace will be able to bring peace to this country so there is hope. Join us for a three-week global series, sharing stories of our brothers and sisters around the world, learning how we're all connected and searching for the same things. Come find that peace, love, and joy are at the heart of Christmas. I am really, really excited for that series. The last two weeks, actually, we're going to be 
taught, we're not just going to hear a story, but we're going to be taught from our partners in South Sudan and in India um, about peace in a war-torn country and then about love in a country that just cast away the elderly and the, and the sick. Um, and so I'm really excited about that. And then next week at a lot of the campuses, they're having a school partner and Kaleo Kids presentation, and they're going to do the Kaleo Kids program. But if you don't know what that is, that is our uh, kids program for elementary school kids. They pretty much put on like a musical and we don't have that at Shelby yet. The exciting news is I'm really excited. I'm going to be working with them. Um, It is Kaleo Kids starting in January with our school partner at West Utica uh, for Shelby campus. So if you have a kid in the elementary school age, make sure you pay attention to the announcements or to your emails so you know when to sign up for that. I am really, really looking forward to that. But since we don't have that next week. We're actually doing a family-friendly service next week to start off that series. Um, We're going to have preschoolers come and do a song. Uh, We're going to have all different ages on stage and in this room. It's going to be amazing to just come and celebrate the heart of Christmas together um, as a church. Uh, And speaking of Christmas, after that series, we, of course, have our Christmas services. Um, Has anyone been to a Kensington Christmas service? Raise your hand. Okay, that is a lot of you. I have not. This is my first one. I'm really, really excited. We have had teams planning and putting forth effort since, like, the summer, planning this service. We... our Shelby campus and everybody pretty much that works at the church has been at the warehouse making sets and it is going to be amazing. I cannot wait uh, to share with you and to celebrate Jesus being born. So I want you there and the way that you can come and guarantee that you have a seat is by going online at kensingtonchurch.org and printing off a ticket. Don't worry. They're free. I know it sounds weird, but you print off tickets to make sure that you have a seat because we once a service gets filled, you'll want to know that so you can go to another service. Um, and then a little side note is if you actually can be strategic, you can get a couple extra tickets and invite your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers. You can even say, hey, I got a couple extra tickets because you can put some value in them. Maybe they think you spent like a hundred bucks on a ticket and they, they want to come. They don't want to turn you down. And you can bring them to celebrate Christmas here with us. Um, I would love that. So that's online, kensingtonchurch.org. Uh, you'll see it. Get your Christmas tickets. All right, uh, if you've been here the last couple weeks, we've been sharing stories of people at Kensington at different campuses uh, that have really been impacted by Jesus and the mission of Kensington. Uh, We love um, the people here. This is why we do it. We say we are for the one. And so these people that you've heard and we're about to hear from are are people that were the one that needed Jesus, that needed Kensington uh, to have breakthrough in their lives. So today we're going to hear about a woman named Emily. She's actually uh, on EDGE staff, which is our high school ministry staff at the Birmingham campus. And her story is is really unbelievable. And so as Kensington attenders and a part of the mission, her story we are somewhat responsible for. So uh, why don't you take a look at her story and, and we can celebrate with her. God was an abstract concept. The big man in the sky who watched my every move and tallied my sins. He saw everything, including the nights at home where mom and dad fought. He saw when I couldn't fight back. And in my helplessness, I couldn't see him. Growing up, the unspoken rules were don't speak, don't trust, and don't feel. Love felt conditional. Midway through my freshman year of high school, 
I felt that love had run out. Alone one night, I tried to take my own life. By the grace of God, I failed. And when I was finally released, I knew that there had to be something more. That's when I reached out to a couple of my friends who went to a place called Edge, a high school youth group that met as part of this church called Kensington. I didn't know what to expect. I just walked in that Sunday night broken and not really knowing what I was looking for. I don't remember exactly what the service was about, but I remember hearing about God in a way that I had never received before. Not just what he was, but who he is and who I am in him. Something about unconditional love. That didn't make sense to me at the time. I went to small groups, something that was also a first-time thing for me, and immediately I was introduced to something that I wasn't familiar with. Vulnerability. I found myself in a place where it felt safe to hurt. I came back each week because that's what it became for me, a safe place. A place where those three unspoken rules I'd grown up with all my life were challenged. Don't speak became tell. Tell your story because it's important. There is strength in vulnerability. I learned that guarding my heart didn't mean shutting everyone out, but letting people in and trusting those who continually showed me that they cared about me. Don't feel became lament, that emotions are a gift from God, and we weren't meant to ignore them. God wants us to bring ourselves to Him with all that we are, the good and the bad. I didn't understand it my first time at Edge, and it took me a while to finally put a name to the way that community treated me. But it was love. Real, pure love. Love that was patient and kind. Love that had no boundaries and no basis in what I could do. Just love. God had given me something that I had never had before. A family the way families are intended to be. There was nothing I could do in that moment other than give my life to Christ. I joined the band. I began to sing worship on Sunday nights. It was different from the way I used to sing in the car or in the school choir. I was singing out of overflow. I was full with the revelation of God's love, and I had to share it. That's another thing that God gave me during my time there at Edge, my identity, my purpose. I flourished in the world of worship because that was how God had wired me to interact with Him best. I feel closest to Him when my eyes are closed and my hands are raised. I know that no matter where I end up in my future, whether it's on the mission field, working in an office, or singing from a stage, I will always be a worship leader. It's what I was created to do. And I found this through the encouragement of the family that God gave me through Kensington. I would not be where I am today without these people. Now I'm out of high school, and I'm trying to become that person that led me to Christ years ago. I came back to work for Edge because I can empathize with the students there. I know the struggle of searching for your identity, for acceptance, and I believe in the impact that place has. I've experienced it. I walked in that first Sunday night not knowing what I was looking for. I needed a home. I needed a family. I needed to be shown the kind of love I didn't know existed. But I know now that all those things come from God. And through the people who knew him, they came. I was looking for the real Jesus, and I found him there. When I hear this story, I realize I get to be a part of a young woman's life who was lost, broken, and living in hiding. And then to see her 
meet Jesus Christ through our high school ministry. It's an amazing story. And then not only for her to find that she was loved and cared for by Jesus Christ, but but that now she becomes a woman of purpose and mission of leading the next generation to find out who Jesus Christ is. Do you realize that when we give to Kensington, we invest in ministries like EDGE, where hundreds and hundreds of high school kids are finding that they matter to God, that they have a life of purpose. Listen, this is worth everything we have to see this happen. It actually excites me about growing old, knowing that there's a next generation of warriors like Emily that are going to follow Jesus Christ, that are going to lead his church like she's leading it now. And so as we come to year end, I'm asking you to make a year end Christmas gift to Kensington, to invest in Edge, to invest in Emily, to invest in the future. Who else is going to reach the thousands of high school students in this region if we don't? This is worth everything we have. Well, good morning, everybody. So good to see you here. My name is Josh Eisenhart. I'm the lead pastor here at Kensington. I'll tell you, one of the things I love about this video is that I personally have never met Emily. She was on our intern team. Now she works at our Birmingham staff. And I've never actually shaken her hand or sat down for coffee to hear what was going on in her life. And I had zero to do with with the transformation that God did in her life. Except that because my wife and I have made a predetermined decision to give financially to what happens at Kensington, I know that her story is a part of my story. The part of what has happened in her life happened because people like me and people like you who choose to invest in this place get to see those things happen. So I just want to say for those of you that do, thank you so much for that, for partnering with us. This story is your story. It's our story because we are a part of an organization that sees thousands of people every year transformed and mobilized by Jesus. And there's never a time that I ever get tired of hearing those types of stories. Well, we're wrapping up our series this week. I'm sad to see it go. There was over a hundred questions we could have chosen, but we chose three for this series called Questions Jesus Asked. We liked this series because out of the hundred questions that Jesus asked, every time he asked a question, there was a profound answer that was being looked at and that was being explored. There was something that Jesus wanted us to know, something he wanted us to see, something he wanted us to understand, and so he says... You know, why or what or and he f- brings out these questions and today we're looking at the question of why do you worry I like this one because especially this time of year it's like tis the season to be anxious do we have enough for Christmas I don't think we do it's going to be debt you know whatever it is we go. Oh, I don't know how it's going to work we're going to figure it out here we go the only season that's more anxious than this one is January <laughs> when you figure out how you're going to pay for everything you just bought you go, I don't know how this is going to work what are we going to do you know how is this going to be but anxiety fear uncertainty and worry are a part a universal part of the human experience You see, we've been given this amazing gift by God to simulate the future in our own brains. That means that like right now, you can be thinking about what you're going to be doing after church, which some of you are doing that right now. I can tell you're like, 
you got something else going on. You're able to run scenarios in your head. And that's phenomenal. It's incredible because it lets us have different choices and different options. We're the only animals we know of in the entire animal kingdom is able to do this simulation thing the way that we do it. But the problem is, is that we simulate things that haven't happened yet that are catastrophic and horrible. You know, every good possible scenario has a bad possible scenario attached to it. And if we're not careful, we tend to lean into those bad possible scenarios a lot. And what happens is, is we have these possibilities out there that we tend to worry about and expend emotional energy toward today. And so it's almost as if what we're doing is we're paying interest on money that we haven't borrowed yet. And when we say it like that, it makes no sense, right? There's nobody in here that's like, you know, I was thinking about buying a car, so I was thinking we just start paying the bank interest on $15,000. Now, we might buy something, maybe not, but we'll just go ahead and get used to the interest payment. Like, why would you ever do that? No, I'm not paying the bank a dime until I've actually taken money from them, and even then, I'm going to begrudgingly do it, you know? Why would you ever do that? But yet, that's what we do every day. You see, we have these scenarios that might happen, but most of the time they don't. But we expend today's effort, today's energy, today's focus, today's joy, today's emotional energy on things that may or may not ever happen. And it doesn't fix anything about tomorrow. It just robs us of joy and power today. So we all get that, but somehow it doesn't change the fact that we all still do it. We all still find ourselves in those scenarios. And what's so funny to me is, if you've ever experienced this, you know. Have you ever woke up in the morning completely stress-free and without anxiety, only to have the world smack you in the face continually throughout the day, till at the end of the day you're just kind of a complete basket case? Anyone ever experienced that? Yeah, okay, yeah, a lot of you. Then The next few minutes might seem very, very familiar to you. This is Casey. Life is wonderful, isn't it, Casey? Good job. Marriage is solid with splashes of romance. A positive report from the doctor regarding your annual physical. And the kids seem well-adjusted and doing well in school. Breathe it in, Casey. You're doing great. That's probably a text message from one of the kids telling you about another amazing test score. <laughs> Oh, no, it's a group text from your boss. Hmm. Emergency meeting at work Monday morning. Well, isn't that interesting? I wonder what that's all about. I'm sure it's nothing. Or is it? Bank overdraft? Well, how did that happen? Didn't you get paid yesterday? Oh, no. Did your annual insurance premium come out today? If that's the case... How are you going to be able to pay for your hair appointment? Everyone will start to see that grave and trying to hide? Oh, boy. Or, or no, m maybe, maybe it's a bank error. Nah, yeah, wishful thinking on that. Facebook notification. Go ahead, take a look. Aw, isn't that sweet? Your daughter just got asked to homecoming by... Well, who's that kid? Huh, have you ever seen him before? Wait... Wait, is that a spiderweb tattoo on his neck? Hold on, hold on. Is that that Douglas kid? Wasn't he just expelled for having some illegal stuff at school? <gasps> and she said yes? Oh, 
boy. I mean, what else has she said yes to? No, no, no. Don't go there, Casey. Come on, come on. Hold it together. You're fine. And it's Austin from work. Oh, he's concerned for the meeting Monday as well. Ooh, a rumor about a merge? That can't be good. Oh, wait. Didn't your boss avoid making eye contact with you the other day? You know, if it's a merge, you could lose your job. And if you lose your job, you could lose your house. And if you lose your house, no, no, it's okay. Take a deep breath, Casey. Take a deep breath. Should you? I don't know. Oh, good, it's your husband. (laughs) $1,500 in car repairs? It was supposed to be a simple oil change. What the heck? What's a camshaft anyway? Oh, man, what are you going to do with being overdrawn and all? I, I know what to do. Let's visit your happy place. All right, Casey, close your eyes. Take a deep breath and envision yourself on the beaches of Maui. Happy place isn't working, is it? Oh boy. Did you, did you feel that? Was that a pain in your chest? Does your left arm feel a little weird? Your vision, does it seem to be a tad out of focus? Your head itches, could that be head lice? No, come on, come on, get it together, Casey. You're fine, come on, you're fine. Aren't you? Please, let it be good news. Oh, good, it's your mother. Oh, no. This is bad. Really bad. Your parents are coming to stay with you for a month? Oh, all the criticism about your parenting, too much time at work and not enough time at home, the never-ending comparison to your sister. Oh, and if you lose your house, you'll have to move in with them. This is Casey. Life is wonderful, isn't it? (laughs) Job insecurity, car problems, potential health issues, wayward teenage daughter, parents visiting. Breathe it in, Casey. You're doing great. Now, I know you can't personally relate to that, but maybe you know someone who's experienced that level of, uh, of traumatic change of events. So many times our outward circumstances dictate our level of joy that we are able to experience. When everything is great and everything's in that moment, do you remember that moment? Like maybe in time, a certain moment in your life, I can remember it. It was a Tuesday at one o'clock. I felt it. That one moment, brief moment where everything was fine before something else came creeping in or another bill showed up or there was an issue that I didn't anticipate or something didn't go the way I thought it should or there was somebody that threw a monkey wrench in my plans and I found myself exactly like Casey going, uh, just, I don't, uh, I just, I uh, just crippled by the weight of anxiety. And worry. 
It's interesting. I, I get to meet a lot of people in what I do, and I get to meet people at different spectrums of, of the financial uh, end of the spectrum. I get to meet people at different ends of the, of the faith spectrum. I get to meet people at different ends of just about every spectrum. I get to see the whole gambit of people being a part of a faith community. And I've realized there is definitely a continu- continuum on which people exist when it comes to worry. On one hand, you have people that maybe don't worry enough, like this kid here. This is maybe you. You know, your house is burning down in the background, and you're just like, hi. Maybe you guys have a teenager that's like this. You're like, what are you doing about SATs? How are you going to get the ACT? I see your grades aren't so good. What are you going to do about that job you just lost? They're like, "Eh." You're like, you need to worry a little more, all right? Get on the worry train, kid. I'm worrying enough for both of us. But then you have people on the other end of the spectrum. You have people that nothing's going on in their life. There's nothing on the outside, but for some reason they're wound up like a chihuahua and they're just ready to break at any moment. And you're like, your life is fine. We have plenty of money. Your kids are both in Ivy League colleges. You know, you're doing great in your career. And they're like, ah, and you're like, well, I don't get it at all. It's because worry is a very, very strange thing. You know, worry can be completely attached to something that we see, hear, experience in life. It can be attached to something that hasn't happened yet, but might. Or, for some of us, it's attached to something we can't even understand. Being around people as much as I've had the privilege of doing so, I run into people that their anxiety is hardwired, it seems like. Whether it was trauma and uncertainty in their childhood or a, a, a drama or something that came into them. Or maybe it's just some sort of biological predisposition or a physiological imbalance that just makes that person always, always in that state of, of fight or flight, of worry, of fear, of anxiety. Wherever you are on that continuum and whether yours is attached to something specific or it's a generalized anxiety that you experience as a disorder in your life. Worry attacks today. Worry robs today of power. It robs today of your capability to move and act and do as God is calling us to do. And until we figure out how to deal with worry in a way that is productive, in a way that is, I believe, focused towards what Christ calls us to, it will always be that thing that weighs us down, that holds us back, and that keeps us from experiencing power and joy today. So before we turn to the scripture, let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you that we have the opportunity to be here together, to seek you together, and to seek your words in your word. And God, I pray that as we seek it, that we would find it. God, that you would transform and change us through it. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We're going to go ahead and pause in our service right now as well. We're going to receive our offering. For those of you that maybe are newer to Kensington, maybe this is your first or second time here, thank you for coming. Over the next couple moments, just relax. As that basket goes through your row or that pouch goes through your row, you just let it pass right on by. We want this service to be a gift to you. The only thing we ask from you is we'd love to meet you at starting point and give you a free gift. Maybe get some of your information if you're willing to give it to us. That's all we're asking for from you. But for those of us that call Kensington home, whether it's a year-end gift, whether it's a weekly recurring gift, we are so thankful that you choose to partner with us in the financial part of making what we do here happen, both in Detroit and around the world, as we see God transforming and mobilizing his people for his glory. So as the pouches go through your row, thank you so much for giving. Thank you for being a part of that and investing in what it is that God is doing in this place and around the world through this place.
There's a few fundamental truths I think we need to understand about worry. And I believe that when we understand these fundamental truths, it gives us the capability to find control, to find some level of power over the worry and anxiety that we feel. The first thing we have to realize is where worry comes from to begin with. You know, when we think about what is it that you're worried about, what is it that, that, that really does fill your mind and fill up your anxiety, what is it the thing that, that, that causes you to, to expend that emotional energy? Because when we discover that, we can begin starting to figure out how we can manipulate that or how we can change that or how we can alter that. And here's something that I've discovered, maybe you've discovered this too, is whatever we care about the most, we tend to worry about the most. You ever notice that? Like, you don't really worry about things you don't care about. You only really worry about things you do care about. I'll give you an example. You want to know what my worries are? I'll give you a to-do list of my worries. Here's some of the things I worry about. One, I worry about my job. I do. This is my job. So you're watching me do my job right now. So this is what I do. You know, and I also do other things throughout the week. I always love that when people go, you're a pastor. What do you do the rest of the week? Like, well, you don't even want to know. There's a lot of stuff, you know. It's always work. There's always things. And I worry, you know, I worry. Are people going to show up on Sunday? Are we growing enough? Are we experiencing what God wants us to do? Am I fulfilling the needs that people have? You know, have I called those people back? Did I return that email? Am I there? There's things I worry about with my job because I care about my job. I worry about my kids' grades. My son's in fifth grade now, so he's got like 17 hours of homework a night, you know, and he's always trying to figure out what he's doing and he's, he struggles in certain subjects and we're sitting down at the dinner table with him every night working through all these math problems and science stuff and reading and all these different things. I worry about that because I care about my kids. My daughter's in preschool, so, you know, as long as she paints okay, she's good. You know, she's just a happy little kid. She's doing great. But I also, I worry about my retirement. You know, you do too, don't you? You know, I worry about whether or not we're going to have enough money, whether or not we're putting away enough, whether or not the economy is going to do what it needs to do so that we, our savings compounds and the interest, you know, somehow sustains us into the future because I know there'll be a day that I can't work and I need to be sure that I'm there. So I worry about those things. Do you know what I don't worry about? Here's a list of the things that I don't worry about. You want to know? It's your job. I'm sorry. I mean, I can be concerned and maybe if you bring it to me, I'll be like, oh, yeah. But I don't go home going, oh, no, what's Jared going to do about his job? I go, huh, got to work it out. You know, and that's just kind of how I do that. And I know you're like, you're a horrible pastor. Maybe I am. I don't know. But also don't worry about your kids' grades. You know, I'm not sitting around going, oh, man, I hope Bethany does all right. Melanie, I'm not sitting there spinning my wheels on that. And I honestly haven't given the first thought to how you're going to retire. I hope it's great for you. I don't know. I mean, considering the number of you that we lose in the winter because you're snowbirds, apparently it's working great. But whatever. I'm just really, really not all that terribly worried. And maybe I should be. I don't know. But the truth is... Until I mentioned it, are you worried about my kids' grades? Are you worried about my retirement? Probably not, because we worry about the things we care most about, the things that we are really, really tuned into, that we're invested in, that we want some level of connection to. Now, this is important. This is an important thing for us to recognize, because if we worry about the things we care about the most, could it possibly be that worry is the result of misplaced devotion? Could it be that our care is put into something in a primary fashion that it ought not to have ever been put into? Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't worry about your kids or you shouldn't worry about your retirement. Or you shouldn't, I'm not saying that that's necessarily something that shouldn't fill your brain space. But we worry about that which we care most about. And for many of us, our God is our kids. Our God is our money. Our God is our future. You know, we look to that as the thing that matters absolutely most of all to us. 
And so we have to figure out how we're going to deal with that. Because if it's a misplaced devotion, maybe there's something we can do. Maybe there's something that we have the potential to maneuver around. And this is where we begin this conversation with Jesus. Jesus is teaching this long and extended sermon, and in the middle of it, he covers this topic of worry. And in it, we're just going to go through it one verse at a time. We're going to start looking through it a couple verses at a time. And we're going to start exploring what Jesus wanted to share to his followers. This was probably the most definitive thing he ever said about worrying and anxiety. And to see it and to understand it gives us perspective for where we're going. This is where it starts in Matthew chapter 6, 24 through 30. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one, you'll love the other, or you'll be devoted to one, and you'll despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, it's interesting that he threw in the word money there, because a lot of people go, huh, you know, he's talking about worry. Why would he say you can't serve God and money? Well, there's two, two messages to this. One of the messages is, you can't serve two masters. So maybe for you, it's not money. The reason that Jesus said money was because he knows, just like it is today, the number one substitute we put in the place of God is what? It's money, right? It's, it's, that's what's going to bring us security. That's what's going to bring us stability. That's what's going to bring us significance. That's what's going to bring us options and freedom. That's what's going to liberate us. and, and give, That's what's going to do it is money. And so for many of us, that is how we live our lives. We live our lives serving money. Do you know one of the leading causes of divorce, the one thing people fight about more than anything else? Money. You know, when you think about all the different anxieties and worries you've had throughout your life, how many of them have been attached to, do we have enough Money. And so if that's the case, Jesus is saying very clearly, he's like, look, you've got a master. It, it owns you. It's, it's keeping you in bondage, whatever that thing is. Maybe it's not money. Maybe it's career. Maybe it is kids. Maybe it's your wife or husband. Maybe it's family in general. But there's something that you're serving, something that owns you, something that has its claws dug into you and its arms wrapped around you. And he's saying, look, you can't serve that and God. You can't serve them both. Your devotion is placed into something that's causing you anxiety and worry. So Jesus continues forward with this in verse 25. He says, therefore, I tell you, don't worry. So what are we not supposed to worry about? He says, don't worry about your life. Oh, good. That's easy, right? <laughs> don't worry about your life. Sermon's over. You know, he says, don't worry about what you wear. And in that, you can wrap up just about everything else, the things that you need to survive. And he says, is not life more important than food? And your body more important than clothes? So he says, don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat or drink, or about your body, what you're going to wear. He's like, isn't there more to life than those things to which many of us would say, not really. <laughs> it's like I work 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 hours a week so that I know that my kids will have food in their belly so that they'll have water to drink and that they'll have shelter over their heads. <clears throat> I do that and I extend that into and so they'll get a good education. I extend that into so they'll have a good job. I extend that into whatever else. But isn't that what worries for? It's life. Jesus says, are you devoted to life? Is life your number one thing? Is this, 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 this status that you have, the security, the stability, is that what life is really all about? He says, isn't life about more than that? To which the answer is supposed to be yes. And yet so practically in our lives, it's no. So then Jesus takes it further. And he continues on in verse 26. He says, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? 
So he takes it into this practical example, which I think is great, because I imagine he's either sitting down or he's standing up. There's a large crowd of people. They're out in nature. So my guess is there are birds somewhere. You know, there's maybe a flock that just flew over the sky, or maybe there's one sitting in a tree over here making a noise and, you know, chirping, and people are seeing it. But he says, look, look at the birds. Just look at the birds for a second. And people are, like, listening to him. They're trying to figure this out. And they're like, okay, birds. What? All right, yeah, look at the birds. He's like, they don't have to sow and they don't have to reap, and yet somehow there's just food for them. They don't know where it comes from. It's not like their little birdie brains are going, oh, no, what am I going to do? They just go, oh, look, there's bird seed. And they go in and get it. Or they go, oh, there's a worm. And they just peck and, and, and somehow they survive. And Jesus is saying, aren't you more valuable to, to God than them? They're like sold for two for a quarter. You know, they're nothing. And yet you are the pinnacle of all creation. You were created in the image of God. You are his image bearer, his representative in this world of his glory. Don't you think maybe, just maybe, he cares more about you than he does a group of silly birds? I think for many of us, that is the crux of it, isn't it? Like, I don't know that God cares that much about me. <laughs> Because I have gone without. I have watched devastating things happen to me or my friends or people that I love. I have experienced falling short and I just, that's a, that's a problem for me. Because yeah, he's taking care of the birds, but what about me? And if you're in that season right now, I don't want to, I don't want to come across as, as just somebody that's throwing out platitudes or someone that's just dismissing the pain that you're experiencing or the issues that you're going through. But I do want to say this, that in the time that Jesus existed, most of the problems you're experiencing, they experienced them then too. And for some of them, it was profoundly worse. And yet they lived in this situation that Jesus is saying, look at the birds. I take care of them. I take care of all of this. Aren't you more than that? And he throws in this little caveat. I love it. It's just kind of like one verse that just sticks out there to kind of just drive it in a little bit more. He says, can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And this is like that question when your mom says, you know, oh, what did you think was going to happen when you did that? And you're like, I know, mom. This is what this is. This is one of those I know mom moments. Jesus is like, can you add an hour to your life through worrying? You're like, no. I know I can't do that, Jesus. But yet we live as if we did, don't it? Like we live as if somehow worrying actually fixes stuff. You know, for some of you, if worrying actually did anything at all, you'd be a gajillionaire right now because you worry enough that it ought to create or develop something. As a matter of fact, if you took that same energy and invested it in anything else, you'd go, oh, wow, that's great. That's awesome. Take that same amount of energy and invest it in your health. You know, you watch. Your cholesterol will go down. Your diabetes will be under control. You'll get there. But worrying does nothing for us except... It has taken an hour away from your life. Statistics show and science tells us that worry raises cortisol levels in your body, which raises your risk of heart attack and stroke, which raises your, your propensity for obesity, which raises so many bad things in your life based off of this chemical that comes up when we worry and have anxiety. So while you may not be adding an hour to your life, you may very well be subtracting years. There's some great news, but it's true. So Jesus continues this thing forward, and he starts talking about the grass of the field. And this is kind of where he starts. I won't read the verses totally for this, but he says, Look at all the grass and the flowers of the field. He says, Even Solomon, who was like the richest guy that ever lived, in all his splendor was never decorated as well as these flowers. And yet, 
Today they're beautiful and tomorrow they get thrown into a furnace, cut down and destroyed. He says, if that is how God closes the, clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you? And then he throws in this caveat that is the biggest crux of everything. He says, you of little faith. He says, you of little faith. See, what Jesus is doing here is he's tying together these ideas of worry and faith. And he's pointing out a relationship between the two. You see, what we begin to understand and realize is that faith and worry are inversely related. For those of you that don't remember that from math class, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Um, what that means is, is that the more faith or worry that you have, the more worry you have, the less faith you have. And the more faith you have, the less worry you have. That the more faith you have, the less worry that there is to be had. And you've experienced this if you've raised your kids and you've had the fortunate circumstances to raise them in a very stable, consistent, secure environment. Your kids don't really worry that much, do they? Most of them. You know, it's only when things have been unstable, when things have been insecure, things have been uncertain that kids get that worry. But the average child that's just growing up in, a, in, a, in a, what we would classify as a normal household or something, they don't need therapy. They don't need to go talk to someone about what are they going to do about the kid on the playground. They're just okay. Why? Because they have faith. In who? In you. Like my kids, they've never come to me and go, Dad, how are we going to pay the mortgage, man? I don't know, man. This thing's worrying me. Never once have they ever done that. And sometimes they should have. <laughs> but why? Because every single time they wake up, the heat's on or the air conditioning's on and the house is, is lit and there's food and there's clothing. And every time they open their drawers, there's their little underwear and there's their little socks and there's their little jeans and there's the little... They don't know where it comes from. They're like the birds of the field, man. They don't get it. They don't know that somebody sat in that dry, you know, washer and dryer and moved them and now I'm getting Ethan into it. And he's like, I got to fold my own clothes. Ugh. Like, yeah, sorry, kid. You didn't have to pay for the water or the electricity or that dryer or that washer or actually put them in either one. Do you mind maybe just putting a crease in it and putting it into your closet? Like, I guess. Like, whatever. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> sorry, I just had to have my little rant. That was my therapy session for today. But the truth is, they don't worry. They don't have anything to worry about. Why? Because their faith is huge. Often misplaced, but huge. And when we look at our lives, our worry is huge. Why? Because at the end of the day, we just don't trust that God has it under control. We say, God, I know that you care about my son or daughter. I know that you care about their spiritual growth. But God, really, seriously, I don't know if you just like stepped out to the restroom. Have you missed what's happening in their life? Are you not aware? Do you just not care? When are you going to get on this? Because if it was my timetable, it would have been done 10 minutes ago. But it seems like you're in the middle of it right now. And I'm just not sure how long this is going to take. God, could you give me an idea, a sign, something to tell me how long this is going to be? And God's like, not your problem. They're mine. They belong to me. Where's your faith? And I know, I know, as a pastor standing up on a stage, it almost feels insulting for someone to say that to you, especially if you're in a, in a deep, difficult place right now. Or maybe you're one of those unfortunate people that biologically you are just predisposed toward anxiety or you experience deep trauma that just brings that up. And I know it is so almost condescending for someone to say it, but it doesn't make it any less true. That when we find a way to hand things over to God, it changes our perspective, our perspective on all of it. 
And this is the way that Jesus says it. It's in the very next verse as he's ending out this sermon that he's giving. He says this, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. He says, look, don't seek after things for your life. Don't seek after things for your welfare. Don't seek after those things as your primary source for security, for for well-being, for significance, for stability or security. Instead, seek after me. Seek after my kingdom and my righteousness. When you do that, when you focus your energy toward him, he's like, all these other things will take care of themselves. Why? Is it just because all of a sudden you start reading your Bible and your kids come back? No, it doesn't work that way. Is it just because all of a sudden I start giving all of my my financial things fix themselves? Well, actually, sometimes that does happen, but not always. You know, that's not the thing. You know, is it just that somehow I'm going to focus on the kingdom and everything else is going to be taken care of? No. But here's what happens. You change the focus of your devotion. And you say, all these other things are out of my control, but one thing I do control is what I focus on. If I'm focusing on the kingdom of God, how do I be the person God created me to be when I'm focused on love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, all of which are gifts that come to me through the Holy Spirit living in me, then I can trust God with everything else. Because here's what I know about God. God either delivers us from things or he delivers us through things, but he always delivers And whether he chooses to deliver on this side of eternity or the other side of eternity, he has made a way for all of us to live in right standing with God that someday when we leave this earth, we have the opportunity to live at home with him in heaven where there's no more tears, there's no more pain, there's no more loss, there's no more sorrow. There is unending joy in the presence of our heavenly father. And so if everything goes south here, I at least know I've got that. And if that's the truth, I'm going to spend just a vapor of a moment here and spend eternity there. Then what do I really have to worry about? Do I really honestly think I care more about my kids than my my heavenly father does? Last time I checked, I didn't die on a cross for them. I didn't defeat death and rise from the dead for them. Half the time, I don't even think about them. They're just off doing their own thing and I'm at work or I'm at school or I'm doing something else. I'm like, oh yeah, kids, you know, I got to do something with the kids. My Heavenly Father never, for a second, for a moment, for an iota of a millisecond, stops thinking about my kids, or my wife, or my family, or my mother, or any number of things that I waste time worrying about. He knows, and He understands, and my Heavenly Father gets it. Oh, me, oh, we, of little faith. Sometimes it just takes a story to put that into perspective for us. Our creative arts team has put together just such a story. It's based off of a true story. I'll explain more of that in a little bit. But I'd love for you to direct your attention to the screens just for another several moments as we begin to experience what this type of thing might actually look like if it played out in real life. Because to say don't worry is to say that we are somehow overlooking all of the significant and big issues in your life. But maybe just maybe it's not. Maybe both can coexist together. Maybe we don't have to downplay what's happening in your life to concentrate our efforts on our faith and our trust in Jesus. Take a look at this.
do you think, huh? Oh, no. Okay, I don't, I don't think he likes it. Keep working. Okay. We'll be back.
not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life?
When you came in today, we gave you a packet of bird seed. Would you go ahead and pull that out? I want you to hold it in your hands and just kind of squish it. <laughs> I want you to feel it as I continue talking. I can remember a season in my life where it felt like nothing was going right. It felt like my marriage was falling apart. It felt like my kids were out of control. Felt like our finances were absolutely just in the wrong direction. And like everything that could go wrong was going wrong. And I can remember carrying such a burden of worry and anxiety that it was literally making me sick. It was making me physically ill. And I think about where I am today. And I think about how so many of those things have just disappeared. Many of which never even came to pass. And I think about how I got from there to here. And honestly, most of it is a blur. Most of it, I can't even really pinpoint or put my finger on what happened. It was like I was a bird of the sky. And somehow the food just found me. That's how God works. Isn't it? just so crazy the way he does that? Where he can redeem the unredeemable. He can fix the unfixable. He can... He can repair the unrepairable. He can take what seems like a hopeless circumstance and show you the silver lining or the way out, or he can show you the redemption in the brokenness. But you got to trust him. You got to trust that just as he cares for the birds of the sky and the grass of the field, he cares far more for you. He may not repair it this side of heaven. Or it may never even come to pass. But when we place our devotion into the kingdom of God, somehow the rest just falls into place. I don't know what you carry today, but he does. What I want to encourage you to do is you kind of feel around on this bag and maybe squish it in your hand is to take the next few moments as we reflect together. And I want you to assign a worry anxiety or a fear to this bird seed. I want you to just put all the weight of that, all the, uh, all the thoughts that you've had about it, all the sleepless nights that you've experienced, all the pain and hardship that has come associated with that anxiety, that worry, or that fear. And I just want you to put it on here. Let this be a symbol of that today. And as we listen and as we sing and as we respond, I just want you to hold that in your hand. If it's something that you're really worried about, hold it tightly. Because what you'll feel is you'll feel your fingers start to get sore. Because holding on to worry has that effect on us. And a little bit later, we're going to give you an opportunity to release that. And my hope will be that over this next few moments, as you do business with God, that he will allow you that privilege.
and that you will make the decision to take it and to allow that worry to be placed where it belongs, squarely on the shoulders of Jesus. Let's respond together in the way that God leads us to over the next couple of minutes. Oh! 
exits down here at the, the front, you're going to see two birdhouses that look just like the ones that were in the video. If you're ready, if you've been carrying that anxiety and worry for long enough, I would encourage you on your way out to leave the worry behind. Take the bird seed. There's scissors in every, both of them, lots of pairs. You can cut it off and pour it out. If you just want to take the whole packet, just throw it in there. If you're ready to give it to God and let him handle the worry, I encourage you to do it. Maybe you're here today and you're like, I'm not ready for that yet. That's okay. Take this with you. Take it with you as a reminder that even right now, God is feeding the, the birds of the air and clothing the flowers of the field. He cares so much more about you than about those birds. And when you're ready, take it outside and just feed those birds on behalf of God. They won't know where it came from. They don't have to. Because God provides. If you're here today and you say, I just could really use some prayer, we would love to pray with you. Right out in our inner lobby of the outside there, we have a prayer team that would love to connect with you. I will say this too. If you have kids that are that are uh, in our K-Kids area right now, we're doing Advent calendars. It's a cool activity with refreshments and really fun stuff, completely free. I'd love for you to stop back there. That's where I'll be after the service to go see what's happening with that and to, to celebrate the season together with our families. It's honestly one of my favorite things I do with my kids all year is that devotional that comes with that. But between now and next week, my prayer is that God will take that anxiety and that worry and he will put it where it belongs, which is out of your mind and heart. Direct your thoughts and focus to Him, to just Him. And that you will watch as God works through all things for the good of those who call are called to Him according to His purpose. I love you guys. Thank you so much for being here with us through this series and this week. Can't wait to see you next week. God bless you. You're dismissed.